0: This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 40 Thunderclouds rolled over the horizon as Juliet grabbed a pail and made her way to the well. With each pump of the wrought iron handle, her thoughts drifted to what life might be like as a person of free issue. One thing was for sure. The only dinner she'd be preparing would be for her own family. She lugged the bucket back into the kitchen where she turned her attention to the mountain of potatoes that needed peeling. The day Juliet discovered the abolitionist movement on the pages of Mr. Allen's newspaper changed everything. On the one hand, she was purely enlightened, on the other, she was horrified. Worst of all, Juliet's literacy made her painfully aware of the words slave auction posted everywhere in town, on billboards and on shingles above the marketplace stores. In fact, she could have sworn those letters once adorned the shingle of Ellis and Allen. Even so, she herself had never been referred to as a slave. Everyone identified her as a house girl or a servant, as though somehow that was any better. Yes, there was a different set of duties, but at the end of the day, there was no getting around the fact that she could do little without someone else's approval. Juliet never knew her father, but somehow she knew he was white. Whenever she asked about him, her mother would always say, "'Hush now. No good can come of asking such a question. You're my child, and that's all that matters.' Juliet carried chunks of potato in her apron, dropping them into the awaiting pot. She removed a netted ham from the rafters and began to unwrap it. She first learned about the American Colonization Society and the movement to start a settlement called Monrovia when she started attending a local Baptist church.' Two other parishioners, Mr. Teague and Mr. Carey, had already left with their families for the new settlement, and despite rumors of unrest with local tribes, they promised opportunity. These letters, along with membership in the Female Missionary Society, fueled Juliet's anticipation of sailing far away, but it was Father Courtney's sermons that inspired her the most. Father Courtney was a humble and well-liked man, a fact made evident by the congregants of every color who sat side-by-side under the First African Baptist Church. There was just something about Father Courtney that made people want to strive to be their very best. But sometimes Juliet began to have doubts about moving far across the world. What would she find there? If living conditions were really that hard, then what? It's not like she could come back. Then there were the people that she was leaving behind. Although Juliet hadn't seen Auntie Yu in over a year, knowing the old woman was safe and well in the countryside was very comforting. Dabney was practically kin. He was the closest thing to a big brother she ever knew, and she'd never see him again. Miss Fanny gave her money and once fine dresses, not to mention the fact that she taught her how to read. No one else tended to Miss Frances like Juliet did. Oh, Miss Valentine tried, but as a perpetual houseguest herself, she too was limited. And Mr. Allen was always away on business. Oh, Mr. Allen, how complex that man was. He had more or less saved Juliet from the Ellises than that horrible plantation foreman. The man wasn't exactly warm, but he also wasn't demanding or cruel like others had been. At least he hadn't been to her. Mr. Allen never said as much. But she knew that he cared about everyone under his roof as best he could, including her. Then there was the thought of leaving Eddie. He would take her absence the hardest. More and more in the past year, Eddie had been coming around the kitchen late at night just to talk, the way he looked at her, the subtle things he said. Juliet knew he had feelings for her. She could see it plain, no conjure needed. Strangest of all, She, too, started fighting her own instincts, especially as Eddie grew taller and would look down at her with those big, gray puppy dog eyes over that tall, strapping, swimmer's physique. Sometimes she wondered, maybe they should start a life together in Boston. How bad could it be? Meantime, no one else really understood Eddie or his need to belong, not like she did, but then she would snap back. Eddie had opportunities, even if he failed to see them himself. Whenever she tried to point out his blessings, the words went through one ear and out the other, as though he enjoyed wallowing in his own self-pity. To hear Eddie tell it, they were two lost sheep, each being kept by the Allens. That angered Juliet more than anything. Eddie would never know what it meant to be in her station. Sometimes she wanted to scream at him, but whenever the feeling began to bubble up, she always managed to contain herself with a smile. A sharp pain tore through her finger and she looked down at her hands. Watery blood dotted the cutting board. Juliet grabbed a nearby dish rag with one hand and stuck the bleeding digit in her mouth. The sweet taste of blood turned metallic before turning her stomach. She looked down at her scar-covered hands. White girls her age, their mothers, too, had the soft, delicate palms of a baby. She already had the wrinkled, ashen skin of a crone. Juliet dressed her wound and carried on. Thoughts returned to Eddie and his propensity for procrastination. She knew his lackadaisical self better than even he did, always lost in his silly stories. And yet, she saw them for what they really were, his means of an escape. Escape. She understood the need for that all too well but she'd need those papers if she had any hope of doing the same. Weeks had gone by, and still nothing on the subject from Eddie. Now there was a deadline on that ship to consider. Father Courtney promised to hold a ticket as long as he could, but the ship's manifest was already filling up. If Eddie didn't do something, and soon she would have no choice but to take matters into her own hands. Arranging the ham, potatoes, and vegetables, Juliet summed up her feelings. Despite the predicament she'd be leaving the Allens in, and the fear of embarking on a one-way journey to an unknown place, she owed it to herself and the legacy of the women before her to seek independence once and for all. "'That's it,' she said to herself. There would be no going back. No more waiting. Boston wouldn't do. Monrovia was the only option, and Juliet would get there if it was the last thing she did.' She shoved the roasting pan into the oven, wiped her hands on her bloody apron, and kicked the oven door shut with a defiant thud. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources, including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars, and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.